Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital and AstraZeneca. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about thyroid cancer with Dr. Grace Lee. Dr. Lee is an assistant professor of surgery at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. Grace, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself and about what you do. Yeah, sure. As an endocrine surgeon, I remove thyroid, parathyroid, and adrenal glands for various different disorders, including cancer. My areas of um, clinical and research interest include different minimally invasive techniques and new imaging techniques for treatment of endocrine disorders. So let's start off by talking a little bit about thyroid cancer. After all, it is Thyroid Cancer Awareness Month. So tell us a little bit more about the epidemiology of thyroid cancer. How many people get diagnosed? How many people succumb of their disease? How common is this? So thyroid cancer is um, number-wise about the eighth most common cancer in the U.S., Um, However, it only accounts for about 4% of all the new cancers being diagnosed. And people who succumb to thyroid cancer annually, we guesstimate at about 2,000. So it is not as prevalent as breast cancer or colon cancer. But what's interesting is that new diagnoses of thyroid cancers have tripled in the past three decades. It is one of the most rapidly increasing cancers in the U.S., but we believe that much of the increase owes to the fact that we're just catching them earlier and more frequently. As mentioned before, we um, utilize various diagnostic imaging to further elucidate many conditions, and we just catch these incidental thyroid nodules while we are just looking into our body for different diseases. So thyroid nodules are just being caught earlier and more frequently. Some of these um, imaging studies that patients get include CT scans after a car accident, PET CT to survey another cancer such as breast cancer or melanoma, or even carotid ultrasound to examine narrowing of the carotid arteries. So, so let's let's dig a little bit more into that because I find that statistic of of a tripling in the rate of thyroid cancers to be really um, quite uh, quite awesome. Um, not in the sense of awesome, yay, but awesome <laughs> in the sense of uh, a huge number deserving of all. Um, so. What what are the risk factors for thyroid cancer? I appreciate that you uh, said that, you know, we think that a lot of this is just because of um, an, an increasing rate of detection. But help us to understand what are the etiologic causes of thyroid cancer? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So, you know, if we can actually get down to the bottom of why thyroid cancer happens, perhaps we can even prevent it. 
So there have been many studies um, that have been performed to characterize who are the folks that are getting thyroid cancer, you know, why we're catching and detecting more of them. So some of the risk factors for thyroid cancer include being a woman and of the races, Asian race and age between 25 to 65 years old. Although we do see some extreme um, distribution of ages, such as pediatric population versus very advanced age population. And also having had prior radiation treatment to the head and neck area as a child, or having had environmental radiation exposure, such as a nuclear accident, and having a family member with history of thyroid disease or enlarged thyroid or thyroid cancer. And again, the, the detection catches incidental thyroid nodules, not necessarily thyroid cancer. So most of these thyroid nodules turn out to be benign nodules, but um, because we're catching more thyroid nodules, we are also seeing the increase of thyroid cancer. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about the risk factors, I mean, a lot of the things you mentioned are things that we cannot change. Um, being a woman, your age, your your race or ethnicity, uh, your family history, and the things that uh, are otherwise risk factors, exposure to radiation, nuclear accidents. Um, thankfully, not many of us, I think, can can claim to have that. Um, and certainly sometimes when we're exposed to radiation due to CT scans or other things, th those may be beyond our control as well. So um, are there any factors that our audience might be interested in that um, increase or decrease your risk of, of thyroid cancer that you can control? Um, so I'm thinking here about things like... Um, iodine deficiency that we know can um, have a role to play in benign thyroid conditions. Any role for that in, in terms of cancers? Any other factors that might, um, that people could, could potentially control? Yeah, that's a very interesting question because I do occasionally have a patient who's interested in modifying their diet to either combat the existing thyroid cancer or help their family members prevent from getting thyroid cancer. Um, iodine deficiency certainly can be the cause of a goiter, an enlarged thyroid gland, but I do not believe there has been an established linkage between iodine supplementation and a decreased rate of thyroid cancer. So the current time point, I think detection and appropriate treatment will be the best course of action once one is found to have thyroid cancer. And so when we think about, you know, getting back to that original statistic, this tripling of thyroid cancers, it doesn't seem that there has been a, a tripling of nuclear accidents. If anything, I think our, our nuclear exposures have generally uh, declined as, as as safety protocols have improved. You know, one wouldn't think that there would have been a, a, a difference in terms of uh, age or, or gender or 
or race over the last few decades where we've seen this tripling. And so that brings us to this whole area of of detection, um, which you surmise is really uh, the thing at the driving seat of of this tripling uh, of thyroid cancer. Has anybody looked at that? Has has the rate at which we are imaging people um, increased at that same proportion? So in other words, you know, we all know that there's been this burgeoning of technology uh, and we seem to do uh, more imaging nowadays than we used to. At least that's how it feels anecdotally. But has anybody looked at that to see whether these two trends are parallel? Yeah, I believe so. So in the much of thyroid cancer literature, we always um, attribute the partial um, rapid increase in thyroid cancer um, being prevalent to essentially the detection and leading to earlier diagnosis. Not necessarily more aggressive um, treatment. We have been scaling back down on the resection of these thyroid cancers. So not all thyroid cancers lead to surgery, but it is certainly true that um, there is clear correlation between um, the utilization of imaging studies in multiple different aspects and also perhaps um, patient awareness and clinician exam skills um, being improved lead to detection of the thyroid nodules and um, go down the pathway of thyroid cancer detection. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that, because as you say, not all thyroid nodules that may be picked up incidentally, either on imaging or on physical exam, are actually a cancer. So let's suppose somebody does have a scan done for whatever reason, and the thyroid nodule is found. How do we get from incidental thyroid nodule to making a diagnosis of cancer? How does that work? Yeah, so as we mentioned, it is not uncommon that we just stumble upon a thyroid nodule being mentioned on a CT scan that a patient may have gotten for neck pain or just to rule out um, lung nodules, etc. So after initial detection of the thyroid nodule on a different modality, we do a comprehensive neck ultrasound as the gold standard exam, along with thyroid function test. If the patient does not have recent thyroid function that was um, drawn with a routine yearly checkup. So after the ultrasound is obtained, we can then detect whether the thyroid nodule is of the appropriate size and if that nodule has specific ultrasound characteristics that make us worried about that thyroid nodule being cancerous. And if we give that thyroid nodule appropriate numbers, and if we um, surmise that the nodule is meeting the biopsy criteria, then what we usually do is do a fine needle aspiration biopsy under the guidance of ultrasound to have our pathologist then take a look at some of the cell samples obtained from that thyroid nodule. 
So, so let's flesh that out a little bit. You, you mentioned that there are some size criteria, some morphologic criteria that you look at in terms of a thyroid nodule to kind of gauge your suspicion as to whether this could be malignant or not. Tell us a little bit more about what those criteria are. What are the things that make you worried that a thyroid nodule could be cancer? Yeah, so generally speaking, we um, worry about bigger thyroid nodules. That's generally speaking, and more. How big solid- is big, Grace? <laughs> so we consider anything less than one centimeter as kind of a micro territory, and one centimeter or greater at least meets the size criteria if the thyroid nodule looks uh, worrisome enough on the ultrasound. And some of the worrisome features are the thyroid nodule being solid rather than um, mostly fluid or mixed solid and fluid, what we call cystic. And it has um, what we call hypoechoic characteristic on the ultrasound, microcalcifications, irregular borders, taller than wide, etc. So radiologists are very familiar with um, giving, assigning certain points to these thyroid nodules to see if this is a thyroid nodule that should then proceed to the biopsy stage or, oh, this thyroid nodule looks to be um, pretty innocuous, although it's two centimeters or three centimeters, and perhaps we can watch it. And so we're going to pick up on this conversation about what happens once that diagnosis of thyroid cancer is made right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about the care of patients with thyroid cancer with my guest, Dr. Grace Lee. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital, where an individualized approach to prostate cancer screening is used to determine which men are eligible and would benefit from screening. To learn more, visit YaleCancerCenter.org screening. Genetic testing can be useful for people with certain types of cancer that seem to run in their families. Genetic counseling is a process that includes collecting a detailed personal and family history, a risk assessment, and a discussion of genetic testing options. Only about 5-10% to of all cancers are inherited, and genetic testing is not recommended for everyone. Individuals who have a personal and or family history that includes cancer at unusually early ages, multiple relatives on the same side of the family with the same cancer, more than one diagnosis of cancer in the same individual, rare cancers, or family history of a known altered cancer predisposing gene could be candidates for genetic testing. Resources for genetic counseling and testing are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Grace Lee. We're talking about the care of 
Patients with Thyroid Cancer in honor of Thyroid Cancer Awareness Month. And right before the break, Grace was telling us this amazing statistic that thyroid cancers have actually tripled in recent history, in large part due to an increase in standard imaging. So we're stumbling upon these incidental thyroid nodules which, if they're large enough and if they have certain morphologic features on ultrasound, are warranting a biopsy, and that biopsy can sometimes reveal thyroid cancers. So, Grace, you know, before the break, you were mentioning that thyroid cancer is not a a uniform disease. It's not homogeneous. Not all thyroid cancers are treated the same. So tell us a little bit more about that. First of all, are there different kinds of thyroid cancer? And second of all, how does that impact um, what you do next? There are about four different major types of thyroid cancers. The good news is that the most common thyroid cancer, known as papillary thyroid cancer, actually carries the best prognosis. So most people, about 90% of the patients that I treat come in with papillary thyroid cancer and the rest 10% comprise of other follicular, medullary, or anaplastic thyroid cancers. And another good news is that Seven out of those 10 patients recently diagnosed with thyroid cancer come in with the cancer that is well-behaving, meaning their cancer has not actually spread outside of the thyroid. So most of the people who get the diagnosis of thyroid cancer, although it's quite terrifying, should be reassured that as long as we treat them um, the right way, they're going to be in enjoying excellent prognosis. So, so tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, ninety percent of of patients have papillary cancers, which have a good prognosis. Of those, seventy percent uh, are well behaved, um, but these patients still require treatment, right? Or is it that? Um, thyroid cancer has now gone the way of other cancers in terms of watchful waiting. Right. So that's a hotly debated, um, very individualized uh, choices. Um, but the mainstay treatment for thyroid cancer, first and foremost, is surgical. Or if the cancer has gone outside of the thyroid, then we would treat by removing the entire thyroid, as well as the involved lymph nodes. Um, The watchful waiting in the thyroid world, we call that active surveillance. We can sometimes employ that approach, which is another right answer to this thyroid cancer management. We can go active surveillance route if the Papillary thyroid cancer, the well-behaving thyroid cancer, happens to be less than one centimeter. So if there is no risk of this 
cancer invading into the nerve or the cancer going outside of the thyroid is well cushioned by normal thyroid and the patient is very motivated and reliable to comply with this active surveillance program, we can certainly uh, go that route. But any thyroid cancer that is between one centimeter to four centimeter, now we can go either half of the thyroid that's containing that um, cancer or entire thyroid to be removed. So there are multiple right answers, luckily, uh, for the patient and uh, the treating team to agree on and um, individualize what's best for the patient. So, so let me just pick up on a couple of things there. So the first thing is, in terms of active surveillance, this is for people who have papillary cancers that are well differentiated, that are less than one centimeter, and who are otherwise reliable, motivated, et cetera, et cetera. What does active surveillance actually entail? I mean, is this a an ultrasound every six months to make sure that this thyroid nodule isn't growing? Uh, is it uh, blood work? Is it CT scans? W- what what exactly does that entail? Great question. So yes, um, it would mean actively monitoring the size um, or the growth changes of that biopsied known micropapillary thyroid cancer, and is. Um, clinician dependent, but usually about every six months to a year ultrasound exam. And um, thyroid cancer is not something that we follow on laboratory values. So it's heavily imaging dependent. And sometimes um, even a next CT is utilized to pick up on lymph node spread a little bit more closely. It is what's called a wolf and sheep clothing by one of my mentors because even micropapillary cancer can spread to nearby lymph nodes. In thyroid cancer world, even the lymphatic spread does not necessarily mean worse prognosis. However, it is more advanced or at least local regionally advanced disease. So we treat those folks almost as equally as someone who has bigger cancer. And the folks that I'm talking about is patients under active surveillance. And by watching them carefully, it may earn them or it may buy them extra five years, extra 10 years with their own thyroid. And it's that surgery or surgical treatment always is is an option, but generally speaking, if the size of that micro cancer changes by about three millimeters, we say, well, um, okay, I think it's time to intervene. And most of the studies on active surveillance comes out of Japan, and their long term result is actually quite excellent. And so you're really watching these people very closely. I mean, even three millimeters doesn't sound like a whole lot to to, to the people who are listening to our show today, I'm sure. But um, but really, uh, that is 
going to trigger uh, you moving to a, a more aggressive surgical approach as opposed to active surveillance. My next question has to do with that surgical approach. You mentioned that for people who have larger tumors, so larger than one centimeter, um, you could do a, a partial thyroidectomy, take out just that part of the thyroid that had the cancer, or you could take out the whole thyroid. And you said, you know, this is really uh, a decision that's made by the team and uh, and is personalized. What factors go into deciding um, what kind of an operation a patient should have? I mean, one would think that it's a big difference between having only part of your thyroid removed and having your whole thyroid removed. Yes. So, you know, this is a discussion that I get to have multiple times a week. So I usually talk about the benefits first of only removing half of the thyroid. And this is a change that um, the American Thyroid Association instituted in 2015 because there's such a increase in the prevalence of thyroid cancers. So perhaps um, a less aggressive approach is warranted is I think what the experts were thinking. So the benefit of only removing half of the thyroid that contains cancer is that there's a pretty good chance that the remaining thyroid may be able to pick up the missing half and still give you enough thyroid hormone that you need. So if you lose the entire thyroid, you will have to take a thyroid hormone supplementation pill every day. But if you have at least half of a thyroid that is normal remaining in you, there is a pretty good chance that you may be able to avoid the medication aspect. So that's one plus. And although the thyroid surgery is very safe when done in expert hands and known to have very low complication rate, well, double the amount of thyroid resection obviously puts you at double the risk of complications. So those are some of the things that we discuss. Obviously, if one thyroid nodule that was biopsied happens to have some genetic mutations such as a BRAF V600E mutation, or if the patient has Hashimoto's thyroiditis, has family history of thyroid cancer, or has another sizable nodule on the other side, um, then maybe it's better for us to do an upfront total removal of the thyroid so we can catch perhaps multiple spots of thyroid cancer, which is a pretty well-known phenomenon in um, thyroid cancer patients. So those are some of the considerations when we discuss, should we take out half or the entire thyroid? And of course, if the patient happens to have the lymph node spread already outside the thyroid. And then the discussion is, okay, we should just go ahead and remove the entire thyroid and the compartments where the diseased lymph nodes are. 
And so it sounds like if the thyroid is otherwise pretty healthy, no Hashimoto's, no other nodules, and the thyroid cancer itself um, is, you know, not spread to lymph nodes, but still is more than one centimeter, it sounds like your general recommendation is a partial thyroidectomy. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And does it depend also, I mean, so far we've been talking about papillary cancers. If it was one of the other kinds, the follicular, the medullary, the anaplastic, that 10% uh, that we were talking about at the top of the show, does that change your mind? Yes. So in the case of medullary thyroid cancer, thank goodness it's pretty rare, but um, there is a genetic disposition and the cancer itself portends to worse prognosis. So we would be um, doing at minimum total thyroid surgery and what's called central neck lymph node dissection from the get-go. So the extent that we talk about for different types of thyroid cancer vary drastically. And of course, in the case of anaplastic thyroid cancer, if the patient is a surgical candidate, then we can certainly attempt to um, resect or debulk the bulk of the disease. But uh, the unfortunate part is that anaplastic thyroid cancer is often incurable. Dr. Grace Lee is an assistant professor of surgery at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu. And past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at YaleCancerCenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital and AstraZeneca.